I wish we lived in a world where everyone has a voice. It shouldn't be, oh my gosh, there's someone who looks like me. That shouldn't be a thing. Just being black, just existing, is a political act. And every day we don't show you the fights that we go through. We don't show you those things because we've just learned to accept them and now they don't think we should anymore. So many black women in TV, like runners and stuff, they're like, you know, I've had enough. And I'm, I'm always like, no, people need us. We're needed in these spaces. There is no meritocracy. We want to work towards a meritocracy, but it has to start with understanding it is not equal. I think there's a lack of understanding. I feel like I'm always trying to adjust to white people and no one's ever trying to understand me. And I'm getting so frustrated now. It all comes down to mental health. This is a thing. If I've lost out on opportunities to work places that are dominated by systemic racism, then cool, I'm good with that. In 2020, after the murder of George Floyd, the world experienced a reckoning on how it saw and engaged with black people. What started as an uproar against police brutality rippled so strongly that the cry is being heard across all industries where Black, working class, and minority people feel undervalued, underserved, and often shut out, including the world of production. We've known for a long time that the film, TV, and advertising industries are wildly unequal. According to Televisual, only 9% of off-screen roles are held by ethnic minorities, with only 4% of them in senior positions, unchanged from 20 years ago. And practices to redress this balance are light at best. But when Blackout Tuesday in June 2020 saw hundreds of companies and organizations posting black squares on their social media to show solidarity and their stance in respect to black lives, many black and minority production staff felt emboldened to hold them to account. As a black person myself within this industry, I have heard and experienced things over the years that still make me tense with discomfort and anger and have made me question so many times whether I belong. So in this episode, we ask, how many producers does it take to make equality a reality? A few production professionals spoke to us about what being black in production means to them. Being black in production means negotiating your true identity for career progression. As the black community, we're kind of always molding and shaping to fit and make others feel comfortable. You, you do that thing of like trying to bring people over to your side and even though you may feel offended. Being black in production means adding to a rich tapestry of diverse ideas and thoughts to the collective and continually providing value because of that. Being black in production means that people often have low expectations of you. Um, people often think you're more junior than you are. Uh, it's almost as if you have to like, overcome people's preconceptions about you know, what you can do. Perhaps that they expect something that's not on par with you know, people that they've worked with in the past. So they're surprised when you do a good job or they're surprised when, you know, things go well because they didn't expect it to. Oh man, that's so depressing saying that out loud. It can be said with like a, an ex a facial expression or just a movement of the eyes. You just kind of know what it means. I was interviewing a, a, on a telephone interview with a Chelsea pensioner before we're due to go and redo a recording with him. And so I was talking with him, talking with him, talking with him, getting along really well. Went with my producer to go and do an interview with him. I went to the Chelsea pensioners kind of hub and he was all in his kind of outfit. As soon as I walked through the door, his jaw 
dropped as if to the floor and he went oh, you you he went you 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 i went i'm said you're oh he goes you sound so different on the phone and i was like all right here we go and then you know what i find myself doing and it's just the part of the i kind of hate having to do this making him feel better about making the mistake about the fact that i was i sounded white during the black lives matter movement not one person from my organization reached out two weeks after because someone had made mention the managing director then gave me a call to say how embarrassed she was for not calling but she just felt so uncomfortable so she just didn't know what to say and then and so didn't reach out which left me feeling really unsupported and um felt like I had to put my kind of feelings on hold in order to hold a space to make her feel comfortable enough to express her um sorryness definitely earlier on in my career like i let a lot of things slide because i didn't want to look like the angry black woman like you know i was reinforcing stereotypes of my behavior that caused me a lot of frustration with myself just experiencing kind of things that weren't great but not feeling strong enough to be able to vocalize them to the people who were at the root of that i feel like if i had kind of stood up to people like a lot earlier on in my career i'd feel perhaps a bit more at peace with myself because i find that being in the work environment i have one identity and then being an east african man and stuff there's another identity um which sends me on this kind of like am i being true to myself when i go to work i have to have an essence of professionalism for sure but sometimes i i question am i being true to inherently who I am, how I would go about a situation. And it's a constant thing for sure, to be checking myself and navigating how I feel about me and in, in, in that space. It's just trying to understand that really, and not feel like you're, you're, you're lying to yourself almost. One of my managers, I went to her with a complaint because one of the editors was, you know, saying really kind of, What's the word I'm looking? They were kind of borderline racist things. He was saying kind of borderline racist things. And I went to my manager to complain. And she was just kind of like, oh, but you know, they're getting the job, they're getting the, the work done and nobody else has complained. So just get on with it, basically. And I guess I was so kind of like not really understanding of the situation. I was just like, okay, yeah, fine. You know, yeah, it's a bit shit, but I'm just going to get on with it. And I just feel like if I had just sent, if I had just, you know, stood my ground or said something to that editor or said something to her because I feel as though by not doing something I'm kind of part of the problem there's something so schizophrenic about that because like like I'm just I just think sometimes imagine how much more time we would have if we didn't have to have these conversations in our head like imagine the space that we would have to think and do other things if you didn't have to constantly be kind of thinking about how people perceive you or how you come across. Oh, but you know what, That's, that must be so bad for our health. We're not feeling like we have freedom to kind of, you know, react to situations like in a, in a completely kind of rational way. That can't be good for you. That yeah. can't be good for us. I've, I look at people who, in my eyes, don't necessarily have that struggle. And then I think, is that why that you're just able to be so much more free thinking in your creativity? and just not have to it be this and it can just be this other thing that doesn't seem so dark and gloomy and it's something else completely um and then i'm like why can't i take my mind there well because i can't take my mind there because i live with this and this is my truth 
even as a director, kind of like speaking to production companies trying to get signed and being, so I, I got signed like earlier on this year. Prior to that, I had been emailing and speaking to a lot of production companies trying to get them to look at my work. And a lot of them always came up with the same stock answer, like, oh, you know, what, we really like your work. Um, but, you know, we, we don't know where to place you or like, we've got, um, one of them said, oh, we have another black director. But they'd said the name of another director who had a very obvious, like, African sounding name. I always think that if I'd been a white male director, I probably would have been signed, you know, five years ago. When, when people go into these spaces and, and in places of work, they're inherently going to want to be their true selves, but they feel like they can't be. It's about making that workspace okay for them to be their true selves and then allowing that free thinking and that thought to truly change how that business is run and, and works. But like literally just stop and take an honest look at your company. If you're in a, if you're working in an, in, in an industry that professes to be creative, like you can't you can't thrive if you just have people who look and sound exactly the same. Like like nothing nothing exciting, nothing fresh, nothing new is going to come of it. Um, for me, diversity is value, it's richness, and there are so many diverse voices that are out there in broadcasting, in television, whatever media we're in. If we're working in there, we have a responsibility to present that diversity to the audience. And being black, I'm doing my part by presenting my perspective. And I'm also conscious that a lot of progress has been made because there are voices that are being heard. Now, you know, there are more people that feel confident to come forward and share their voices and say, I matter, what I'm saying needs to be part of the mix. I really hope that this train of like good intent isn't one that just stops at optics and doesn't stop at wanting to be seen to be acting. I hope it's a train that's kind of in it for the long haul. While we continue to fight to make our voices heard and stand in our truth, there are organizations out there doing amazing work to build new networks and pathways into this industry, which has for too long given priority to white middle-class people and perspectives. Carla Marie Sweet is an actor, writer, and former radio producer who knows all too well the consequences underrepresentation behind the scenes can have. I think we need to move away from words like diversity. I don't think diversity is a helpful word. Diversity always comes as an afterthought. Um, and it always sounds like this kind of shiny bell or whistle that we're going to kind of add to something that's already made. It should be fundamental. It should be, we start with equality, because why wouldn't you? Not, we, we do an entire project and then we sprinkle a bit of diversity on top at the end. No, 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 no. My experience of radio production was definitely a bubble um, in which, you know, I looked around and there were people from all sorts of different backgrounds. But since uh, kind of moving into TV, God, TV's so white. I've kind of had a bit of a, a bit of a short, sharp shock, really. I write for um, a popular TV show um, at the moment and yeah, yeah. I, I think it's quite reflective of a lot of TV shows in terms of what's going on behind the scenes. Um, I think that representation is starting to change on screen and that's good, but yeah, behind the scenes, 
you know you've got you've got white writers writing words for black actors um and brown actors and it comes across as really inauthentic and i think authenticity ultimately is what you sacrifice when you do choose and it is a choice to have a um a writer's room and a production team that is not reflective of the uk it's, it's not hard to kind of look around and see what the problems are in the industry and it's not hard to kind of, you know, feel like the industry, even even when you're in the industry, like it's really hard to rise to the top, um, particularly as, a, as a, a person of colour or a black person, particularly as a woman, um, particularly as a working class person or a person from a low income background. Um, everything feels like an uphill battle every step of the way. Um, and so there's definitely that feeling of, gosh, if I can make this easier for somebody else, um, particularly somebody else who's like me or somebody else who is part of that underrepresented global majority that just isn't reflected within um, the industry, then brilliant, because um, things need to change. Arts Emergency is an organisation that helps young people from difficult backgrounds gain access to the arts. And it's a really, really valuable um, kind of community of people who are already in the industry that are offering kind of mentoring and support to young people who don't have any connections. Um, and what they're doing is just incredibly vital work if we're ever going to kind of move out of this old boys club that you know the industry is is currently dominated by. Karis Melkin is the head of programs at Arts Emergency and explains how young people are supported by the organization. The basic idea is providing a network for young people who don't have one um, and that kind of manifests in lots of different ways. Think about 60% of our young people identify as people of colour. We're accessible to young people who come from all kinds of backgrounds who've been um, who've been disadvantaged in one way or another. So whether it's been that they're in care or that their family don't have any experience of higher education or um, they come from lower socioeconomic background. It's got to be about integrity because what is the point in just working only with A-star students who are going to get through anyway or just parachuting in to be like, here's a little bit of help, but now you're on your own, goodbye. And I feel like the way Arts Emergency has been built it's not tokenistic, it's just, we hope anyway, genuinely helpful and long term. We kind of think of it as like three pillars of what we do. One being helping young people access education. Also making sure that they've got career tools available so they can explore careers, but also offering CV help and helping them navigate that. And then the other thing is more, I don't know, more holistic. So it's more about community. People are coming together to offer their time and offer their expertise because they want to see a better world. And the young people come to us because they trust us to kind of guide them um, and they know that the focus is on them. Every young person we meet has a mentor um, and that mentor shares their interests. I think the really different thing about Arts Emergency compared to other mentoring programmes or similar programmes is that the support is long term. So they join us when they're 16 and we support them till they're 25. Sam, a recent mentee, feels the programme really gave him the confidence and contacts to help him get into the industry. 
I was set up with a mentor who specialised in TV production. I'm now in my third year of university doing film studies and film production at Edgehill University. My mentor was helpful to me because we meet up every month and she'd talk about my ambitions, my goals and set any worries to rest that I had. She was really helpful online as well, sending me email links to workshops and seminars online. She'd also let me into contact with people who would give me opportunities, work experience and further my contacts which is really important in the film and TV industry. I definitely see her as a role model because she's someone that's done a lot in the industry and she's also done it while trying to help other people and I think that's very commendable, it's something that I want to follow in a footsteps and do one day. When you think about the arts community and these young people that just don't have access to them, what we're doing is bringing them together so that they can work together and sometimes you see mental pairs where one might have come from very privileged background and one has almost come from the opposite kind of background really and they'll say oh it's so funny because we're just so alike we're just so alike we think all the same things and they're like people who would never have met through the program carla has mentored three young people that mentor-mentee relationship is totally an exchange where you learn as, as much from them as i think they do from you and I think just knowing that you're part of changing the industry for the better is a really wonderful feeling. My worst nightmare is that we really like help these young people develop and, you know, develop their talents, develop their confidence and that they get into the industry and because nothing has changed that they're not able to, you know, rise within our industry. So I think that there's still a lot of work to do. These organisations are essential to redefining the future face of production. Other brilliant places doing this work are Just Runners and POCC. We will have links to them in our socials. Fed up with waiting for others to make change, some producers and directors have taken matters into their own hands, starting their own production companies and controlling their voice and vision. Filmmaker Michael Jenkins, along with Dr. Mina Fombo, set up Black Wave in 2019 to create content that will influence and represent their perspective in mainstream media. For him, ownership is key to changing the narrative. Optimistic we came to nurse the pain of the mother country, to rebuild bodies and build new pathways, but were blamed for the strain. We were misdiagnosed as a pathogen that needs isolating and killing. The body we came to cure stricken by racism and classism. My name is Michael Jenkins uh, from Bristol, and um, my journey as a filmmaker has been like a... <sighs> like a roller coaster, I guess. There's been lots of sort of ups and downs. Um, I'm a self-taught filmmaker, so I didn't go to school or anything to learn about filmmaking. I just picked up a camera and started shooting. And, and uh, I went to this sort of university of YouTube, uh, didn't have any, any money. I was on job seekers, I was on low income. And because of what I knew about the media industry traditionally, it wasn't a place where I thought, okay, I'm gonna go and try and get a job at the BBC. The first thing I did for the BBC, it was a half an hour documentary. So I knew the community, I knew the people, I had all the, I had all the access, I had my own camera, I could go shoot it myself, I can edit it myself. But because I didn't have the sort of track record with the BBC, they only named me as an assistant producer, even though it was me shooting everything. Um, and, I, and I could see that that was like part of the way that they work, which is very frustrating. After I did, um, 
do that film for the BBC, they get they gave me a six month contract where I was actually a producer director making shorts and and I was the only black person on the team. But it was kind of like I could quickly see how you could be really institutionalized and become narrow minded and just be working in your own box in your own silo and and then and be disconnected from everything else. So I was sort of really happy when my contract finished. I was like really happy like yeah, I'd rather work as an independent than actually in this system because it's so big and it's so vast and there's so many different layers working with and against each other. It's a bit of a minefield. We just saw what all these, you know, commissioners, all the production companies, they are like white and there isn't. And I just realized to myself, well, who is the sort of production company that looks like me or represents me? And I'm and thinking, well, who is the one doing like the big national stuff? And, and there wasn't any, so that's where we thought, okay, well, there's a space for us here to at least occupy this space for, for a second. That was sort of the motivation behind coming together and actually trying to create a company that could actually pitch directly to the to the um, broadcasters. That's the only logical way forward, basically. I mean, ownership is really important. I believe that, you know, we need to create our own companies. We need to create our own institutions that can work side by side, these other institutions. But I think we need to, to have more of a stake in the company. And that is more than just sort of working for them. And being an employee so i would say that probably i'd want to see more people sort of taking that independent route as a black filmmaker i had a, I had a, a black mentor look at my showreel years ago and say it's, it's too black <laughs> i was kind of like thinking to myself well basically i know the reason why i got into this industry is basically to make more representation so that's what i'm going to do and until i sort of run out of stories to tell I don't think, you know, because uh, why not? Because why not? I mean, nobody else is doing it. And and I've always been passionate about trying to change stereotypes, trying to give people a voice, you know, tell these different stories. They're relevant to how the country is moving. I do get angry about having to make films that always deal with sort of black trauma. I mean, that is like, that's really sort of annoying, you know? And, and I want to I wanna tell stories about, yeah, I want to tell sci-fis. I want to tell horrors, fantasies, you know, romantic comedies, you know, it's like there's so much that needs to be told. I don't just want to make programs about, you know, black trauma, you know, police brutality, stop and search, um, violence, drugs. I don't really I don't really want to touch that because that's already being done. And I'd rather do something which has given us a bit more of a nuance with contemporary life in the UK. I know, I know what people say about I don't want to be sort of the token, I don't want to be the one that is on the list just simply because I'm black. But I guess if we're not like running production companies, we're not producers, then there's not really much we can do because this is how it works. And the only way we can change that is by becoming producers, running production companies, and then creating our own lists, which which aren't filled with people simply because they're black. It's, it's filled with people because of their, their merit and what they can do. Um, but I think that will take time. That's why I believe that we have to just do our own thing. And then people will then people will just see what we're doing and they will be attracted to that and they will follow that and that will become part of the mainstream. Um, but we have to do more of it ourselves and have we have to have more. We just have to have ownership. Man. We just have to have ownership of this. I mean, I tried to submit, so I wanted to write a short drama um, and, get, and submit it to the BFI to get funding. And their process 
was just so sort of out of touch with reality. And, but they're sort of saying that they want new voices. They want first time filmmakers to come and, and um, you know, apply for some funding to make their first short film. And I was just like, well, who's gonna, who's gonna apply for this? Because it's so hard to go through. And a lot of people, they might not know a producer. They might not know this person, that person. So how are they? So this is completely out of bounds for them. So, um, so we were talking with them about how do we, how do we make this thing more accessible? Um, so that's when we come up with this idea of actually partnering with them, but um, make the process a lot more simple so that um, it can actually get first-time filmmakers on board. And by working with Black Wave, you know, they will, people will be attracted to sort of trying to work with what we're trying to do. This is a radical step for them. You know, for me and for us, it makes, it's just common sense. But for them, this is like a big radical step. That's the reason why we felt like we want to try and help get more people into filmmaking and have more knowledge of, you know, what's involved. What I come across in, within my community is people, they know about, you know, they know about cameraman and they know about, you know, acting. And that's probably about it. They don't know all the other industries and, you know, that everything that's involved in, in putting together a production. So that is definitely what we want to try and do so we can help change the industry in the next five to 10 years. It's on us to sort of try and help push it, you know, forward because we have to be forward thinking. We, we, are, we are here, we, we are in this country and we have been here for a long time. And, and uh, I think it's all about, you know, communicating that our, our differences, but also, you know, the fact that we're all more similar than what we are different. There are so many more stories to tell and so much more work that agencies and production companies need to do to support and retain black working class and minority production talent from their hiring practices to ongoing support for our well-being, re-educating people on their bias and sustained programs to amplify drowned out voices. It's great that people are acknowledging the problem now, but there are miles and miles to go before we can rest. Black Lives Matter now and always. Special thanks to Arts Emergency, Michael Jenkins, Carla Marie Sweet, Andrew Jones, and to all the amazing people who opened up to us for this episode. And thanks to the TV Mindset for the clips from their June live stream in our montage. Our production team includes Arijal Sultan, Michaela Blitz, Zoe Jones, Dana Traumater, Rachel Jones, and me, Zakia Petty. Please follow us on Instagram at How Many Producers and Twitter at How Many Producer. And please do share if you like the show. Thanks so much for listening.